We'll continue on with our uh, look at Elijah and his life and what it was uh, teaching God's people in this uh, book, First Kings, was first written, and uh, what it means to us today. Elijah is engaged with Ahab, the uh, wicked king of northern Israel, um, who has uh, headed off into uh, worship of other gods. And there has been three and a half years of no rain. And the Lord has told Elijah that it's about time for it to rain and to go and to speak to Ahab. And so Elijah does that. And we see this confrontation in this passage. So we're looking at 1 Kings chapter 18. And we'll begin in verse 16 and read to the end of the chapter. This is God's word eternally true. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. And bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bowls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set it, set fire to it. I will prepare the other bowl and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call in the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is God. He is a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or, or busy or, or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. 
with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two sayas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and and slaughtered there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look towards the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, Hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain came on and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Here ends our reading. There's a response of thankfulness. It's printed for you. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks indeed. Let's pray. Number two, having talked about what a God is. um, Number two, I've, that's your contraction there for your blank. (laughs) I've chosen a God. You have chosen a God and you choose a God throughout each day. So we've, we've talked about this. We've talked about what a God is to us. We choose a God throughout each day, every day. Um, Elijah presents the people with a choice. He says, who will be your God? You see it there in verse 21. That's it. That's the center of this passage. As he approaches God's own people, realize that we're God's own people here and they were God's own people. He's not going to foreigners. He's going to God's own people, 12 tribes, 10 of them. Okay. He's going to them and he's saying, who's your God? The God you're called to one of these 10 stones who's part of my altar or are you going to choose some foreign God? Okay, and that's So that's always before us there, to choose. And we don't want to waver between two opinions on any choice that comes before us. We're going to be solid in our opinion. God, the Lord, 
is God. Um, by the way, just you know, for your own Bible reading there, whenever you see you know, Lord in all caps, that's Yahweh. Um, that means that's the I, I am the God who causes things to be, especially I am the God who causes my angels to fight for my people. That's kind of the full orb view of what uh, L-O-R-D means. I'm the God who causes my angels to fight for my people. And, and that that's God's name. So, uh, you know, Moses says, who should I say sent me? And the Lord says, here's my name, Yahweh, which in the old King James gets translated Jehovah. Um, but it's from those same letters. It's four four letters, uh, Yah, Yah, Yahweh, or the consonants in that, the Y, the H, the the Y, the H. It's just Y A H E H E H there. Uh, but when you see it, and so you see this um, when the people respond there in verse thirty nine. Look at that, just so you see what's going on here. So the gods are named. This is free, folks, but you'll appreciate it. Um, the gods are all named. There's a God named Baal, there's a God named Asherah, and there's a God named Yahweh. And so when the people say, the Lord is, he is God, they're naming which of the three gods. It's not the same as L-O-R-D where only the L is in capitals. That means like master or sir, or, you know, it can mean God as well. But it's Yahweh is God. They're saying Baal is not God, Asherah is not God, Yahweh is God. The God who spoke to Moses is God. The God who gave us the law is God. That's Yahweh. And no other nation on the earth claims him but us. Okay. So we choose a God uh, throughout the day, each day. Um, A there, again, Ahab. That's your blank. Ahab had chosen Baal and Asherah as his gods. We see that in verses 18 and 19. Um, But for us today, B, Every temptation is for you a choice between gods. It's true for me. Every temptation is a choice between gods. We saw it in what Jim read for us in Genesis 3. Now, Paul, remember, calls, or, or if you don't, I'll credit you with it, uh, in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, he says, Satan is the god of this age. And the god of this age comes to Eve in the garden and says, Obey me instead. Do you see the battle there? This is a holy battle, spiritual battle in the garden. Who's going to be God in Eve's mind and heart? Who's she going to obey? Who is her source of happiness? Whose words she going to obey? Who's she going to please? And she chooses the God of this age. But she had a God already who had told her not to eat from that tree. But she makes this this wrong choice. Temptations are all that for us. It's who am I going to obey? Who am I going to bow down to and say, you are God? You know, like we, you know, Wayne and Garth do humorously when someone does something great. We are not worthy. You know, that's what we're doing every time Uh, when we obey God. We're saying, God, I bow down to you. Your ways are greater than my ways. Your ways are for my good. And even if I don't understand why I should obey you in this, I will anyway. Our session talked about that yesterday morning in our session meeting. God is especially pleased when we don't quite understand why we should do this thing that he's commanding versus the thing we'd rather do. 
when we don't quite understand and we do this, that's especially pleasing to the Lord because we've exercised our faith and our trust in him that he has our good in mind. And it's typically after we do that, on the backside of it, that we gain understanding of why that was a good thing to do because we start to see the consequences of this obedience that we did that we did in faith. So when temptation comes, it's a choice for you of pleasing the God of this age and his people who are egging you on to join them in worshiping the God of this age. Um, or on the other hand, believing your happiness comes from God himself. Now, number three, the consequences of your choice of God of your seeking to please someone above God or seeing someone or something as your source of happiness, the consequences of your choice of God are real and significant, are real and significant. That's verse 18. Um, you, you see, uh, what are the consequences of Ahab's choice of choosing poorly? <laughs> um, Ahab says, is that you, Elijah, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah says what we see Isaiah and Jeremiah and other prophets say to God's people, God hasn't brought you this trouble. You've brought it on yourself because you knew the blessings and curses of the covenant, right? Middle school, Sunday school people there. Um, you know the blessings and curses. They're talking about that in Sunday school. You knew the blessings and cursings of the covenant. You knew how what was the secret to the rains coming and big harvests. Just love me and walk in my ways. It doesn't have to be perfect. I've given you these sacrifices to cover your sins. Give the sacrifices. Walk in my ways and there will be blessing. But if you want to bring trouble on yourself, God says this in Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28. He gives them this whole list of curses. These things, these troubles will come upon you if you do these things, if you turn away from me. And you worship other gods. And so Elijah sticks it to them. And that's what prophets do. They, they take the law of God. They take Moses. And they preach it to those who are in front of them. And they say, here's why these circumstances have come upon you. And so that's what Elijah says there. Look, verse 18. Elijah says, I have not made trouble for Israel. But you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands, and have followed the Baals. Okay. So there are real consequences for choosing God or choosing other gods, whether that's a boyfriend or George Harrison or Steve Jobs or a father or a mother or a boss or your neighbors or whatever it is that you in your particular sin nature are tempted to bow down to. I know my things. I've kind of spilled them out for you here uh, that I'm tempted to bow down to. Uh, but they're real and significant. Uh, for Ahab, it was real and significant to not have rain for three and a half years. Right? That's, that's big. Imagine our nation. Imagine the world. You know, global economy now. So you have to consider the world because we get our oranges in the summertime from Brazil. Yeah, you know, a worldwide drought for three and a half years. You know, that's huge, real and significant consequences. And we're to understand that as believers, as Christians now, as we're 
walk as we're living our lives as believers, there are real and significant consequences for choosing other for choosing other gods. So here are some of those consequences. Four things that we can see here in this text. First thing, it's a choice between choosing a God. It's a choice between A, eternal death or eternal life. So verse 40, for these prophets of Baal, <laughs> they get physical and physical death to go along with their spiritual death. And that was in the law of Moses. If someone comes among your people and says, follow after other gods, they're to be put to death. The promised land was a holy land set apart for the worship of Yahweh, of God, and none other. You can go outside the perimeters of the promised land and worship other gods and God will leave you alone. But in this land, this is a purified land. This is a holy land. And if somebody comes in and tells people, worship some other God, you put that person to death because that's not being tolerated here. Um, so, he so that's what Elijah puts forward. He applies the law of Moses here in this passage in verse 40 to these prophets of, of Baal. And there are those passages in Deuteronomy that give the, the capital punishment uh, for uh, following after other gods. But you saw in John 8, 24, part of our declaration of the gospel, the first verse in the declaration of the gospel this morning, Jesus said, if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, um, you will indeed die in your sins. Okay, so at the end of one's life, if he's chosen another God, if she's chosen another God, she or he will die in their sins, eternal death. Um, Verse uh, uh, um, uh, seven, uh, when the Lord's not in this passage, when the when the Lord, um, uh, um, this is uh, sorry, second 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 Thessalonians one seven, um, listed therefore, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Obeying the gospel is one of the ways the New Testament talks about believing in Jesus. Obeying the gospel is belief, faith in Jesus. Uh, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. In contrast, the second verse of your declaration of the gospel, John 3:16, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Okay, so that's the choice eternally. Okay, in choosing gods. Second thing, consequence of taking another God, of seeking to please someone or something above God, uh, seeing something else as your source of happiness. It's a choice between foolishness in life or wisdom in life. Um, you know, 26 through 29 in this passage here, it's okay to laugh. These guys are dancing around probably in funny-looking costumes. I just saw um, one of my favorite Seinfeld episodes two nights ago, The Conversion. Uh, George is dating this uh, a woman who actually doesn't lie to. Well, almost not lie to, he, he says, because um, he likes her so much. And she cries and she says, George, we have to break up. My parents say I can only marry another uh, Latvian Orthodox person. And so George is really bummed about this, but then he gets in the idea he can convert. And so he's in the office of the Latvian Orthodox priest, and, and he says, you know, well, why, why do you like, you know, why do you like, why are you wanting to convert? And so he gives kind of a, a, a basic answer, and then, 
then the assistant to the priest says, but is there anything specific about what you, what you like about the Latvian Orthodox religion? And George looks up and he sees, he sees the, the hat of the Latvian Orthodox guys. He says, I like the hats. <laughs> um, but they probably have something on like this, which is very common for priests of, uh, of different religions. And there they are, they're dancing around, they're, 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 they're saying, oh, Baal, please answer us. And it's silence. Did you see in that verse, and no one answered. It was silent. No one answered at all. You know, it's like when someone today gives that, I, I'm an English major, so I, 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 I cringe like this. Not, period, at, period, all, period. Ah! You know? <laughs> but you get the point. It's, it's like what, what God is doing in this passage. No one answered. It was silent. Nada. Zero. Zilch. We're supposed to laugh at this. Um, and then they, they not only do they are the guys dancing, <laughs> uh, but 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 they're slashing themselves and their blood is this is foolishness. And on top of it, there's no result. And they finally not not only from the morning until noon, but until the time of the evening sacrifice, they're doing this constantly. This is foolishness. And so this is a message for us. If you bow down to other gods, if you walk in other ways, if you're looking for something else to be your source of happiness, you will be found out to be a fool. And you personally will find out I've been a fool because I gave this up for this reason. I, 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 sacrificed, I bowed down to this person and I said yes and he's not a believer or she's not a believer. And I said yes and I married this person and then now I'm 10 years older and I'm not as hot as I used to be, and he's left me. Well, go figure. He didn't have God as his God, saying one wife for life. And so, what do you say? I've been a fool. And God wants to protect you from this. He wants to protect you from having to act like these prophets, dancing around and slashing themselves in what may have been some ridiculous and having to shout and being mocked by Elijah. Shout louder. Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's gone to the bathroom. Maybe he's asleep and needs to be awakened. You know, and God's people knew God neither slumbers nor sleeps. Um, Colossians 2.3. Um, there's, there's, in contrast to this foolishness, we as Christians are given given wisdom. Um, Paul, Paul writes in Colossians 2-3, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Or as we saw in what Jim read for us this morning in Jesus' parable about the, the wise man who builds his house on a rock and follows the commands, the words Jesus has said, listens to my commands and does them. He's the wise man who builds his house on a rock. In contrast to this is the foolish man who builds his house or builds his life on other people's advice, um, foolishness. But Jesus says, a wise man is the, is the person who hears his words, hears Jesus' words, and obeys them. So, an example for us. You know, some people make us mad, and God tells us to hold our tongue. You know, James 3, or, or wherever we want to be, have patience. Um, 
you know, imagine yourself at a new job. I used to visit Randy up at Cisco and they got this huge parking lot there and you come, I'd come in at lunchtime and there are people coming in and coming out. And, you know, sometimes when you're in a parking lot, you get cut off. And I just thought, you know, what if, what if I were like, this is my first day at, at Cisco and I'd been, been hired and somebody cuts me off and, and it's huge. I mean, how many buildings are there? Like 30 buildings or something like that on the, on that campus there. And you yell at that guy that cuts you off in the parking lot when he parks to, hey, what do you, what do you think you're doing? Didn't you see me? And then you get into the office later and find out he's your immediate supervisor. <laughs> you find out that was pretty foolish, not following God's ways of just being patient and gracious. And, and, and so we walk in God's ways and find that to prove wise for us, holding our tongue. Um, Titus says, and, or Paul says to Titus in chapter 3, verse 3, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by, all, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, hating and being, being hated and hating one another. Now, that's just the way of foolishness, but that's just the way of our sin nature. Okay? So God saves us when we bow down to him and his ways and seek to please him. He saves us from all these foolish ways that, that get us into trouble. Uh, as Chris Rock said in a, a, a video on it, or a, a thing on a show about 15 years ago about how not to get your guy not to get beat up by the police. He says, you know, when your friends say, I wouldn't do that if I were you, you might not want to do it. <laughs> and God's keeping us from doing those things that our friends in the church would say, I wouldn't do that if I were you. And so God wants us to walk in the way of wisdom. C, C, consequence of taking another God. Uh, it's a con it's the, the result of uh, the consequence of self-harm versus increased strength. Self-harm versus incre increased strength. Sin brings harm to us. If I'm just a philanderer and, 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 and um, you know, I, I watched uh, Betsy and, and Mallory and I watched uh, Dr. No. On, on Thursday night. That's the first Bond movie. We saw an advertisement, all the Bond movies are up on Prime. And I've quit watching Bond movies because women are always presented in a very seductive way. They're all PG-13, basically, Bond movies are. None of them are R. They're all PG-13, but they all present women in seductive ways and show as much as they can in a PG-13 rating. And so I've just avoided that because I don't like my heart in that. I have to look away in, in, in different things. But I thought, let's watch the first one. 1962, 1963, Dr. No, Sean Connery, you know, um, Daryl Hammond or whoever. And, uh, uh, and, but still it was that, that same, that same kind of thing there, um, coming up and, 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 uh, you, there, there are these, um, uh, that if you're a philanderer like James Bond, we decided to tell Betsy and Mallory, we're not watching any more of those. I just don't like but the, I wish they just cut those scenes out. The rest of the Bond movies are fun. They are, but I don't, I don't like being pulled in by the director, you know, into trying to have some affection for somebody else. Um, and, and so, but, but you don't want to be pulled in that way. But James Bond is just, you know, everyone who's pretty, he's sleeping with. What if I live my life in that way? You know what? You don't get off scot-free like James Bond. You wind up with a kid here and a kid there and that kind of thing. What if I'm a high school kid like Jack and Diane, right? Or, or, or like uh, uh, Young Turks, you know, Rod Stewart. 
you know, and, and, and it, you, then you've got your life derailed. I want to go to college and go in this career, but now I've got a kid to take care of uh, instead. Um, self-harm. But you see this, this idea of self-harm here. You know, God, the, the, the prophets are slashing themselves. We're to see this very starkly. Sin, having other gods, brings harm to us. God tells us, do not be drunk with wine, but be full of the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. And, and so it's, you know, the old thing with, with drugs or alcohol and alcoholism and getting drunk. It's, it's self-harm. I had to, in my fraternity once take a guy to the ER because he was drunk and, uh, and he slipped in the cake frosting that some other drunk person had thrown on the floor, you know, of the cake. And, and so he needed stitches. And so, you know, it's just self-harm or, you know, how, how many people have died from drug overdoses? Lots. It's, self, it's self-harm when there's a life of, of dissipation that lacks self-control um, and being guided by God's word. In contrast to this, you know, Isaiah 40, this is one of my favorites in college. Uh, came out of, you know, hearing this in the movie Chariots of Fire. Have you not known? Have you not heard? And it speaks of God and all his power. Uh, but those who hope in the Lord shall renew their strength. They will uh, rise up on wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall rise. They shall not faint. Um, and that's, you even see this in a literal way in the last verse of this. Elijah has the power of the Lord come upon him like we see like with Samson and others in the book of Judges and he runs in front of this chariot. He outruns the horse and does this miraculous thing. The miraculous is a normal part of Elijah's life and ministry. But there's strength. There's this building of life. There's a getting stronger as we walk in the ways of the Lord. As we exercise more and more self-control in our lives, we become stronger in life and stronger for those around us. We rise up with wings as eagles. We run and are not weary. We walk and we don't faint. And we become a pillar and not susceptible to so many things as we were before. And we, we rise up and be, we become a help to those we love. Um, when I was uh, when I went to college and I was playing soccer, there were ten of us who were recruited who came, so ten freshmen, and uh, most of them got sucked in by the Fisai's. That was the fraternity on campus. They were the big drinkers. The betas were the drug guys, and, and the Fisai's were the alcohol guys. And I remember those guys, my classmates, coming to practice, and they were hungover, and they had been tricked into drinking too much tequila by the the older soccer players who were drinking water in tequila bottles, taking shots, you know, while the, the, the young guys. And so, you know, come sophomore year, about five of us out of the 10 left. Junior year, I'm the only one left. <laughs> Absolutely the only one left. So I got to be a captain my senior, no competition. <laughs> they had to pick a junior to be the other co-captain. Uh, because, you know, what happens when you're following other gods and you just you focus all gets out and they were they were old and tired. They were out of shape. They were not playing anymore. Their eyes were on other things, you know, and there I was still prospering stronger than I was when I came in as a freshman, better soccer player than I was when I came in as a, as a freshman. And this was because I was committed to walking with the Lord. And um, I knew Isaiah 40, that was in my head, um, that, that he was the source of happiness and strength 
and that self-harm was the route they were following as they walked in anticipation. Now, D, fourth thing, fourth thing. Consequence of taking another God, it's the choice between this, trouble to yourself or a life that's blessed, a blessed life. So long-term, a blessed life, that your life would be described as, as blessed versus bringing trouble to yourself. So you saw that with Elijah. He says to Ahab, no, you have brought trouble on yourself by choosing another God. You've brought this trouble on Israel. You're the reason why there's no rain here. And we can do that too by taking other gods. Um, as Jesus said, Luke 6, 49, the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the, uh, on the ground without a foundation, a house in the sand. The moment the torrent struck the house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. In contrast to this, James 1.25, Anthony and I were talking about this this Wednesday. James 1.25, the one who follows the word of God, who looks at it and does it, he is blessed in the doing. Blessed in the doing. And that leads us to a life where, you know, I don't have secret families in other, <laughs> in other places. You know, I got to go to college and finish college. I have five daughters and a wife who kind of loved me. And Thanksgiving is a wonderful thing. And we come together and they all love each other and, and they love us and we love them. And it's that's blessed life. That's long-term blessing from patiently enduring in the faith. And I haven't brought that on myself other than walking in patient obedience. Not perfectly but following the Lord as best I could in the power of the Holy Spirit through my life. And the fruit, it's great. It's great. It's great for my kids. It's great for Betsy. It's great for, great for me. Um, so blessed in the doing. Now four. four. So the, the, what Isaiah describes here is the people say, the Lord is God. The God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who is over our, tw our, our ten forefathers represented in these stones in the altar that, that are now burnt up. <laughs> um, they say the Lord is God. The Lord, he is God. Verse 37. Here's Elijah's commendation to the people there. He says... Um, Lord, answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And so, uh, number four there, turn your heart toward Jesus and keep it there. Keep your heart toward Jesus. And, and you know, us here, where people have turned our hearts toward Jesus, but we need to keep them there. You know, probably the, the great-grandparents of those who were worshiping Baal and, and bowing down at Asherah poles here, probably the great-grandparents were faithful and loved David, the anointed king. But they didn't keep their hearts toward the Lord. And so that's what we're doing in our lives. And that's the message for us, to turn our hearts toward the Lord, to always have our hearts toward the Lord. Not bare ritual, but our hearts toward the Lord. Um, Jesus said, these people, the Jews of his day, Honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So we don't want to be people who just come to the church and repeat the Apostles' Creed each week. 
We want to be people whose hearts are turned toward the Lord. Or Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Jesus replied, here's the chief commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all you are. Love the Lord your God. Um, so A, your heart turned toward Jesus is you're seeking to please him, seeking to please him above all. It's your seeing him as your source of happiness. And it's your seeking to walk in his ways. This is like Peter when Jesus says, as an um, analogy to believing in him, he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. I'm the manna who's come down from heaven. I'm the one who you eat of and live forever. I'm the one who you drink from and are never thirsty. And he's speaking of belief in him. And that our souls will never be hungry. Our souls will never be thirsty if we believe in him. But the people are taking it physically. And so they go, Ugh. and they start turning from Jesus. And Jesus turns to his disciples and say, well, you leave me too. And Peter says, but where shall we go, Lord? You alone have the words of eternal life. And that's what we always, that's what we always want to be. Seeing him as our source of, of life and of blessing, always wanting to please him and the, the choices we're making, the things we're doing and, and why we're doing those things. So B, just on the other side of the coin, your heart turned toward Jesus uh, is what needs to be, not on externals or rituals or words. We've got a lot of rituals and words here in this passage, don't we? The, the prophets of Baal had rituals and words. The Pharisees had rituals and words, and they thought, as Jesus said, by the repeating of these words over and over, they thought they would be heard without hearts that were toward the Lord. But we don't want externals, rituals, or words. Externals are fine to remind us. This is externals. Here, the Lord's Supper, it's externals to remind us to have our hearts to the Lord. Uh, but we want to make sure our hearts are toward the Lord. And, and these these, uh, our heart toward the Lord is what brings us eternal life, wisdom, greater strength, a strength in life to endure, and a blessed life. So the summary uh, of this passage here for us as believers, as Christians, as uh, those who love, follow, believe in Jesus today. A, we recognize a God is anything or anyone that you seek to please above the Lord. And a God is anyone or anything or anyone that you believe to be your source for happiness, where happiness comes from, where you choose to do something because you think happiness will come there instead of choosing to obey Jesus because happiness comes from him. And then a God is anything or, or anyone uh, that whose ways you seek to follow. Okay, so you want to seek to follow Jesus' ways not someone else's. And then B, second part of this morning in this passage, by making God your God, by making God your God, by seeking most to please him, by seeing him as your source of happiness, you shed, you shed eternal death. You shed being a fool throughout life, living foolishly with regret. You shed self-harm, doing things that bring harm to yourself. And you shed unnecessary trouble 
unnecessary trouble in life. And you find in turn eternal life, wisdom, greater strength, and a blessed life, long-term blessing, where you can look back and say, God has been good to me, really good to me. Right? Like this church, you know, it's 22, 23 years, whatever it is, 23 years now. God has been good to me, you know, in this church. God's been good to this church. This church is a, a pleasant place to be. Their session talked a long time um, yesterday at our session meeting about, and what's the key to that was what we were talking about. And it's the key, the key to that is doggedly hanging with scripture despite what the world says. And that hanging to scripture is not in a legalistic external way, but a hanging on to scripture that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Don't, don't bow down to some church agenda. Our church is going to be a church like this. Our church is going to be a church like that. Our church is going to be a church like this. Because that agenda then becomes a God. But our agenda is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and worship Him. Programs, schmorgrams. You know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> infrastructure, infrastructure. Who gives a rip? What Jesus cares about is your heart. And why this place is pleasant is because you folks are people who are uh, receiving and disciplining yourselves in this training of loving the Lord and recognizing that as being what's important in my life. Not, I'd love to be in a great cathedral. I'd love if we didn't have metal legs and plastic tables. You know, and, and these great, you know, wood structures and that kind of thing. But that stuff doesn't matter. What's, a, you know, to trade, to, to trade that stuff for who we are as a church, that's a fool's decision there. Um, right? You know, I, I hear my brother pastors sometimes talking and, and the troubles they go through because people are in their churches looking for other things, bowing down to other ideas of what a church is other than giving glory to Jesus and the Father above. And so that's what we want for our hearts. That's what Elijah is teaching here. Have your heart turned to the Lord always. This is not just when you come into the promised land. This is not just when David is king. But it's even when you've been led astray by Jeroboam and now by Ahab. Turn your heart back to the Lord. Always be looking to that. Let's pray.